Hello and welcome to this podcast today. I'm Francis Seeley from GlobalNet21 and this is one of the many podcasts we do that cover a wide range of issues. And today we're going to interview a young man called Theo Sorgio. Now Theo is quite a remarkable young man. Um, He's been through a, a difficult time in his life and he's sort of overcome that with a great deal of resilience and decided to make the best out of his life by getting involved in helping groups, being involved in politics with a big P and a small P as well. And he does a heck of a lot. And he's an inspiration, not just to young people, but to everyone, including people of my age, because he bridges that generation divide. So Theo, thank you for joining us today. And let me ask you first, tell me something about your background and what's made you so interested in politics? I think part of it is definitely down to the family that I've grown up in. Not that they've been political at all. Um, when it comes down to kind of voting for the election, they do know what they're doing, but they are never really engaged. So it's quite weird trying to be in a household, actually being the one they ask for news information. Um, but what it is, it's kind of like a sense of fighting from a really young age. Um, so for those of you who don't really know my background, I was diagnosed with bilateral retinoblastoma. Um, so it's cancer in the eye. I was lucky enough to get it a second time, um, strike by light, lightning twice, won the lottery twice, however you want to see it. <laughs> I've I had that twice. So consistently in a kind of area which is quite unique and children won't normally find themselves in. Uh, but also a lot of problems are also occurring. So a lot of people are falling through the gaps, a lot of people are being ignored. And from a young age, it was reliant upon my mum, who's very active and very passionate for fighting for like, justice, and me, to sit up and argue and that moved when I went to primary school and I saw other people not getting there like people who didn't speak English it started with how they were getting treated in school um stood up and was like no that's not okay and they were like no you shouldn't be here you should be in a special needs school and I was like no that's not okay uh, so that's how politics started that is literally um a form of politics which quite minute but quite personal to me so your determination your politics, it's all your mum's fault. She got, it, she got it going for you. But you're a local boy, aren't you? You went to Winchmore School, is that right? Yeah, that's it. I went to Winchmore, loved it. And um, do you think the difficulties you went through because of the cancer and so on gave you a, more, a greater determination to make a difference than it might have done had you had a normal childhood? It's hard to say whether things are inbuilt within me. Um, I don't have a time machine or like an alternate dimension machine. But what I can say is that I'm grateful for my cancer. And it's taken quite a while to say that, but it's, it's literally so easy now. Um, seeing that I have an insight because of it that I would not have, and that's kind of undoubtable. Things like I wouldn't be able to understand niche groups and like them how disadvantaged they have been. Whether the passion is because of it, is quite interesting. I kind of explored quite a while ago. I've got a lot of anger inside of me, which is quite interesting. And from anger comes passion if you channel it correctly. Uh, I know, and it's a lot of the work that I did with knife crime comes from kind of those similar roots. Um, so that could be a reason why my passion's there, but definitely my knowledge and my insight of the situations come from there. Okay, well, if you've got a lot of uh, anger inside you, I better watch the questions I ask you. Um, but <laughs> they won't be like that. But, but tell me, I mean, you, you actually recently, didn't you? You won a Young Citizens Award, which came from a nomination by Enfield Chase Rotary. 
I mean, how did you feel about that? And what do you think made you win it? I mean, what did you do? What did they think you were doing that was great that made them nominate you? It's quite interesting because I rarely get emotional. I mean, rarely. I think the last time I cried was when I was in year eight. So that would have made me like 13 years old. Um, so I really get emotional. But at that point, I really did when I was nominated because it, uh, the woman who nominated me, Sue Jessel and Wendy Winter from Winchmore School, they didn't just realise my efforts at the time, but they realised my efforts of my whole life. And it was at a point during lockdown, and now I wasn't the only one going through something similar, but you kind of stopped and you reviewed everything and wondered like, what is the point of all that effort I put in? Like, I felt like it was completely gone down the drain. Nothing really came of it. And do you know like how lockdown kind of trapped you in? I always felt like I was a big entity and my impact wasn't much. But when um, Sue and Wendy went back and they kind of showcased my achievements and through the years, even how I met Sue, I met Sue because I was trying to raise money for a school in Ecuador um, after the earthquake. Like just our first interaction reminded me that I wouldn't have done that if I didn't want to make a difference and I did. Um, so it was beautiful actually, actually quite motivating. And I'm just, I continued on my work all because of that award and I will really give it the credit that it deserves. So can you remember the very first time and what age you were when you decided you wanted to do something good and that was valuable? Um, it's, it's, uh, by defining good, uh, <laughs> it might go down to like helping my brother a bit when, he, when I, or giving him his sweet back that I stole. I remember that. <laughs> Which, um, but in terms of actually trying to make a difference on like a, to, what I call drowning strangers kind of examples, helping someone that you really like have no obligation to. Um, that probably came to me when I was in primary school. Um, there was a couple of kids who were actually quite mean to me. Um, I know I'm not going to turn on the X Factor story. However, it really did affect me at that point. And then I just stood back and I thought, do you know what? What's going on with them? And I remember this kid who was two years younger than me, actually. He was bullying me for quite a while. And I sat him down and I made him tear up for some reason. And we talked about his mum and dad getting a divorce. And then from that point onwards, it was just like, right, let's go. And then I went into secondary school, like six, um, to into year seven at Winchmore. I was like, right, I'm going to be a standout kid who won't fit in, but will be the kid that everyone knows to and, and knows to go to if they need help. And then from that point onwards, it was like, I was a counsellor, people having family council situations. If anyone was having problems with the borough, I said, right, I know the leader of the council at the age of like 11. And it just kicked off from there and you couldn't stop me really. So you didn't get teased or anything at school because you were interested, didn't have a go at you. They learned to respect you because you could be useful to them. Yeah, in the end. Um, Winchmore actually had quite a nice environment because of that. When I went to sixth form, which is a very different school, um, it was much more hostile. And I left, I was only there for two years and I left that trying my hardest and feeling really quite exhausted, not getting the same reception really. They appreciated my achievements in terms of my own success, but they wouldn't, nobody was comfortable really for reaching out. And so it was all that, always that point of, <laughs> look at this kid thinking that, why is he speaking up? Why is he like thinking he's anyone different? Um, so it depends. I feel like an environment needs to be like that, kind of flexible, even though I always try to kind of make it possible, if that makes so, sense. So people came to you today in school, right from the start, and they said, you can help me, or look, I've got this problem. Mm -hmm. Can you sort of take it up with me? Because I'm a bit nervous at doing it. I also became the school kind of activist if anyone got in trouble. So I don't believe in harsh, I don't believe in exclusion, um, even, as a, even as a last resort. 
So I had kids who were getting excluded for bringing weed into school, etc. come to me. And I'd see the real side of them. And I'd go to the teacher and I'd explain it all to them and what really was going on. Um, never always, never worked. Um, and I needed it myself when I got in trouble quite a lot in secondary school, school to be honest with you. Um, but it was quite weird. The kids who would normally not reach out for help for anyone would weirdly come for me. And I don't think, I don't think I should be given the credit for that. I think it should be the fact that I was a young person doing that as well. I was one of them. Yeah, and uh, doing that and seeing lots of kids needed help, um, and especially those with special needs, is that why you had a, a constant interest in that, kids with special needs send children? Um, and what have you done about that in, uh, you know, in your later life? Not your later life, you're only 19, but you know, in your later teenage life. I mean, how have you sort of approached that? I've always classified my life in two sections, um, not, not like BC and AD, but more like before 16 and after 16. I think that was my big turning point. Um, what happened at 16 is I realised my efforts were appreciated on a local level, uh, but then I started thinking a bit more about the world and how effective to use my time. You'll, you'll rarely find me spending money. Um, it's always about like literally how effective can I spend this? How effective can I use my time? Um, so from... 16 what i what i started to do i was in hospital at the age of 13 and i gathered a group of students we went to the ward nurse and we said we want to have a youth forum because there's so many children here who have their issues then at the age of 16 i took that up a notch and i was on the nhs england youth forum so i learned to not just have my own story but do what i've always done listen to other kids hear their stories and amplify them um and then i took it to another level which is historically traditional organization such as the national institute of clinical excellence health education england cracking into them not in the replacements of experts but working alongside them to, because i i like devising strategies of how effective can you help people so the policies which could do the most effect to people have a bit more of a human element now so the transition purposes for people with sense so special educational needs are much more human human now and we're still doing so many work on that rather than helping individual cases is so important but in terms of effectiveness of time i've kind of post-16 life is much more effective than pre so what have you done about your view which lots of people hold that you know no kid should be excluded i mean how have you managed to get that view over and how well has it been received um it's been that's probably been one of the most controversial um like kind of views that I hold um, and what I have done actually I like to prove people wrong but if they're if they're right I'll literally be like that's very interesting and let's go to that no yet people are yet to convince me and I'd love to be convinced if it isn't true but I've compiled an academic report on this to try and just check myself as well the youth select committee report on knife crime because um, knife crime was a massive issue and exclusions were at the heart of that because it is one of the biggest drivers um, and I've, I've looked at the science behind it, gone into prisons up and down the country's PRUs uh, to see the real effects of it. So I've proved to the government that it's, it's not that good and I've tried to get them to discourage it. Uh, Ofsted has seen the report and they've also going to consider it when reviewing schools. So exclusion is also now a matter. They don't look into every exclusion yet, uh, but they are looking at if a school is having an unreasonable amount of exclusions to do stuff. So all these like little policies of changes um, I was fortunate enough, actually, because um, it was the government who actually jumped onto that idea, that ideology the most. They invited me into a cabinet meeting. So I'm the youngest person in British history to speak in a cabinet meeting. Um, and I had to kind of push myself through that door. 
but they kind of have seen the truth behind it and we're talking like quite a traditional government um uh, actually doing quite untraditional things so who was the prime minister when you went to the cabinet was it theresa may it was theresa may yeah and, and how did she sort of uh you know react to you coming into her cabinet and could she get a word in <laughs> I know you're finding it hard. So <laughs> it even harder. Um, I think her response to the kind of idea of no school exclusions was very much, but what about this? But what about this? And then at the end of it, we had a couple points of clashes, which we said, let's do further research into that to see the kind of answer. But apart from that, I think I won her over because then her next policy, um, which was coming out in terms of ending knife crime, was looking at more rehabilitation and something called restorative justice, which schools now do. So you, you're a champion of the restorative justice movement, are you? Yes, yeah. And have you done anything about that? Do you work with the restorative justice organisation? Um, no, not a restorative justice organisation, but I have been working with City Hall in particular uh, in terms of their, what they call VRU, Violent Reduction Unit, and that they do that. I'm, I'm actually unaware of a specific um, restorative justice scheme. I know there's one in Kent, um, which was a bit far from home at the moment to be an effective use of time. Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to be interested in stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think there are quite a few actually. But, but I mean, also the violence reduction unit. So you're, you're a great believer in having a health approach to crime, are you? That started in Glasgow and now is spreading. London's got one and lots of boroughs are beginning to do that now. Yeah, that's it. So how have you pro been promoting that? Um, so even even last week, I've been checking the London one because the London one is still much further behind the Scotland one in terms of finances, especially. But even in terms of so it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that our violent reduction unit included jobs. So they might help people with educational courses, but they'd never help them encouraging them to go to the job centre or finding a sustainable job path, uh, which to me gives them all the like gear and all the support, but it just drops them at the end. Um, so I'm actually changing the way it runs at the moment, but I'm also trying to support the advertisement of it at the moment. So, so young people and schools are aware of it, um, looking at how to make it youth friendly and stuff like that, because some great work does happen in government. Some great work doesn't happen, but a lot does. And it just needs to be talked about a lot more. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about getting into the National Health Service and so, in, and so on, you said I cracked into those, you know, like I, you know, I just got in. I mean, how did you crack into those? I mean, if someone your age, someone who's 16, 17, 18, they wouldn't know how to crack into it. So how did you do it? Um, I think there is kind of a misbelief that I always know what I'm doing, um, which definitely isn't true. But I think down to me, I always have a naivety of hope to be honest with you that i come up with strategies and like why what would actually work and i also try and get feedback from others on what they've done in the past um i don't ever look at myself as oh you can't do that if i ever do have a thought of like that which is quite natural i always go to myself well it needs to be done um so when so the actual way i did crack into this institution was simply an email and a um, a suggested model so with the NHSU form, we devised models of integration so how we can support young people integrating into the work. So literally we give it to them, as Boris calls it, oven ready. Um, so they could literally just say, yes, we will approve of that. And if they don't, I think they'd know there'd be kind of like dire consequences in terms of persistent lobbying, um, media attention and, and whatever, uh, if they refused to involve patients in their care. But I do think they actually are quite 
interested as such into a lot of the work they're doing. So I would never put actually bad work against them at the moment, though it took a lot of work to try and get into them. A hard thing was actually, and a lot of people get put off by this and people know when you try and call the bank or whatever, getting passed on from one person to another. Oh, I'll email you to my colleague. I'll email you to my colleague. Um, so you just have to be persistent and like really don't have to give up. I think that's the most important thing. So, so you do all that and a lot more and you still have time to do something, something like the Bart's Yes Forum as well, don't you? Tell mm -hmm. us about that. Uh, so the Bart's, I, I will always have Bart's close to my heart. I'm still a, a child patient there. I'm not refusing, but I'm just grabbing on to the child clinic and I uh, don't want to leave my doctors. Um, so I'm still a young patient there awaiting transition. But what I, what I do at the BOTS is much more one-to-one -one with patients, looking at patients' specific needs, um, struggles. When it comes to mentoring, people who have similar conditions, getting them to get in contact so they're aware and supporting. It's a nice little personal aspect of my job. Because um, it's quite interesting the way that I looked at when I had my kind of post 16 reform, the Bart's Yes form was one of the few things I actually kept on there. I agreed to stop doing things such as like going abroad and try to be some missionary who goes and builds schools, etc. Because in actual fact, the money that it cost me to go over there, I can donate to their community to build most, etc. Um, more, etc. However, with the Bart's one, it's one that I personally couldn't get get rid of. So I could do more to support them children with my time and money um, through policy. But I do kind of really appreciate that personal aspect to it. So that's like my little selfish enjoyability, if you know what I mean. But the other thing is, I mean, you're also involved in the youth parliament as well, which is yet another thing. So how did you get involved in that? So that's actually, thank I'm, so I'm in Enfield Youth Parliament. So one of the local boys um, trying to just support our community. And when I first joined, uh, bless them, because they were really nice about it, I wasn't actually going to school in the borough. The school I went to, Mill Hill, I got a bursary to study at private school, um, was outside the borough. So I was going at this private school for free, and I was like, can I still support my community? And they originally said, no, we don't think so. And I sent like a, like a three-page document about how this policy was discriminating against people who go home schools, disabled people who have to go to school outside the borough, etc., and they were really nice about it. And they was like, actually, just get in, be quiet and sort it out when you get here. And now the next term is kind of in there. So that's how I got in initially. And then the moment I did that, I just suppose I listened to young people. And um, if I wasn't elected, I completely understand. There's so many other people who can do the job and I'd always be supportive. But they elected me to be their representative in the youth parliament. And now I lead London in that youth parliament. So um, I cause and a lot of what, trouble. And what does that youth parliament do? Oh, we do quite a lot of vigorous campaigning. Um, I'm not sure if some things you might have heard of is, do you know there was the issue with free school meals earlier in the year with Marcus Rashford? Um, so we were behind that campaign, contacting Marcus Rashford after seeing one of his interviews, begging him, and he did an amazing job. What a legend. Uh, so we were behind that. We're at the moment, at, at, we were at the core of the TFL campaign. They're cancelling young people's zip cards. So we're doing a lobbying for that. We've written free petitions, letters to the mayor, uh, the Prime Minister and Grant Chats, Transport Secretary. We are getting a giant bus. We're going down to Downing Street. Uh, we're also contacting TfL, trying to get their tube drivers on, on strike until they support young people. Um, so we are making good progress on that campaign, but we've done so many others like that. I've mentioned the knife crime one as well, but whenever young people indicate to me personally that there's an issue, 
I will support it. And I'll also like to inspire others to inspire others. So to run their own campaigns, if that makes sense. Well, you, you clearly do inspire others, but are you ever inspired by people like, say, Greta Thunberg and what she's done on climate change? Yeah, I think Greta Thunberg is amazing as an individual. Um, I, it sounds quite, my motivation doesn't really come from anyone else, unfortunately. I'd love to accredit it to someone, um, apart from like anger, really. But I do steal their tactics sometimes, I'm not going to lie. Greta Thunberg has some amazing tactics, especially how she sticks by her principles. You can never like disregard that. She always take a boat everywhere. And she leads by example. So something like that, definitely stolen off her. Her speech and her rhetoric, <laughs> definitely some tips. I sit down with notes and write. And she's not the only one, there's many others. Um, but yeah, no, personal inspiration, um, actually would probably be my old English teacher at Winchmore School. Um, she actually was one of the people that made me believe that I could make a difference. I knew I wanted to, but then I just saw the whole globe and thought, right, I'm not going to do anything. And that's where that came from. Actually. Uh, lots of people go back to a teacher that's inspired them. And I think teachers sometimes don't realize how important they are in people's lives. And um, they certainly are. I mean, is climate change something that you think young people are engaged in? And are you involved in any campaigns around that? I think climate change personally is one of the biggest issues. Um, young people have definitely, um, as demonstrated with their thousands of turnouts in the protests, as well as their consistence. I'm not sure if you follow young people on social media, uh, but if you do, you'll see constant stories and articles about it, even to this day, where as some people might say, it's not a popular issue because of COVID, even though it's still quite pressing. Um, so it does, it, it is still quite galvanized. Me personally, I've only done quite a little bit on it and I feel quite harsh in saying that. Um, but it's not because I've prioritized it, but more because I've, I've unprioritized it's more because the other issues that have been coming to me have been much more urgent and that's the risk with climate change there's no urgent pull to it which it takes people like me away from it which i know i'm quite bad on like really bad on actually now rethinking of it um that's i mean why you you sound very often that you 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 could be in danger of doing too much and overwhelmed do you ever think i've got to sort of organize my life and prioritize I'm not sure if you know, I'm going off to university in October. <laughs> I am terrified. I lost my phone uh, three weeks ago. Um, I found it. I didn't tell anyone for about a week. I still feel guilty. Um, but I just, I, I, yeah, sometimes I do. And I know I'm going to have to delegate. Uh, so I remember I mentioned that post and uh, past uh, 16. That was the time of dropping some projects and starting on another. I think I might come through another purge like that very, very soon. Um, but I will always be tired i don't see the point of another thing is that i've also got autism which is quite interesting because it, i see it as much like a very good bonus because i can't go into the pub with my friends it's like sometimes okay but i'd rather be sitting there working out a strategy about how to tackle the government as i, I, I love it i absolutely love it so yeah like, it's, imagine stop going to the pub and you'd be like oh you see your friends too much like it's, you can never see your friends too much i can never stop doing work too much <laughs> no, but your friends obviously are people your own age now. You're here talking to me, a baby boomer. Actually, I'm lying. I'm a year too old to be a baby boomer, but I say I'm a baby boomer. It makes me feel better. But, you know, have you, do you ever get a feeling there's an intergenerational gap sometimes and it's important to, you know, build that bridge between generations? 
100%. Um, my best friend, actually, is a 50-year-old woman with children. Uh, it's quite interesting. And um, I have got a partner who's around my age. Um, and, yeah, no, like, I, I rarely see, like, in terms of friendships, like, I can actually relate more to loads of different people. And sometimes I don't think there should... I'm quite controversial on the fact. With age, and ex- can often come so many stories and experience. Uh, I think people should be given respect e- equally, regardless of their age. And I know my grandparents would go mad because of that. <laughs> um, but I think the kind of seeing people as equal and doing work together needs to start happening more, rather than us uh, young people being given work and old people getting told, this is what the future thinks, as if the old people are not the future, which is absolutely isn't true. And by old, I definitely mean anything over the age of 40. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, <laughs> you better be. <laughs> Anyhow, so you've become a wise young person <laughs> and um, not too wise, I hope, because that can sometimes take away the motivation to do crazy things, which is important when you're in politics um, and you want to make a difference. But if young people wanted to make the sort of difference you did, if they want to get involved, I mean, what would you recommend to them? Join a political party, join a group like Extinction Rebellion. How would they get started? What would you say to them? If there's anyone who's listening to this call, contact me. Uh, <laughs> um, but if, if I wasn't here, let's say, um, I'm not a member of a political party, believe it or not. I know which ones I support, and that, that can change. Um, because I don't, I don't always think some people's views will align with every political party. So I definitely wouldn't encourage that as always a mean of activism, unless you really think that you align with a party. Um, if it's more an, an issue, then you go to that issue and try and find out. Um, so if there's an organisation there, go in that organisation. You will have something called imposter syndrome the moment you start there. But just know that you're there because you're passionate and you have the knowledge because you've lived through it, especially if the issue is relating to you. If, and this is the most important thing, your issue is not popular, uh, something like knife crime when I started it and same with the free school meal things when we started it, what you really need to do is contact somebody like me or someone in the youth parliament or someone who has just experienced that campaigning and use kind of like a brain mind map, be crazy, like literally start drafting. How can I think of it like a military attack? How can you best approach and change this issue? You're normally stuck with three approaches, which is, especially if you're disconnected with politicians, normally it's like media attention coverage in terms of articles and stuff like that. Um, Big protests, so that's encouraging other people to do it. Uh, And the third way is literally trying to find like a legal route of why people can't do it. Um, if you can't do that, then you get in contact with someone else because there is always a way of changing things. Sorry, long-winded uh, answer, but well, it's, no, it's not long-winded. It's a very good answer. But you know, if 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 people wanted to know, you, do you see yourself sometimes as a mentor? As a mentor, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I always give advice. I always get advice from the same people. Okay, so you give advice, but you you're young and you've got a future. How do you see your future? Are you going to carry on like this? I mean, where do you want to do go? What do you want to do? Um, I think what I, I'm, I'm weary of not doing is just picking random causes and just like living to it. <laughs> I'm very much like flexible with my life and what it can become. Um, I want to make sure whatever I do, I'm going to be as efficient as possible. So in terms of like, if I want to support, let's say, a village or a community, I want to genuinely support it. Um, I probably will go down the politics route. So anyone who doesn't know, I'm doing PP at university. I'm looking to do a conversion onto law uh, before I come um, a lawyer, hopefully. I'll con- continue all my activism alongside of it. 
And then after that, I'd probably be looking into going into politics. Right now, I don't think I'm wise enough to go into politics. And I know everyone disagrees with that. I'm not saying that because I know that. I'm saying that because it's just common to hear that. But um, I genuinely feel like I don't know what it's like to be an old person or what it's like to be someone who kids who live in care that's an example of groups that i haven't consulted yet and until i really understand all the population i'm going to help i'm never going to pretend to act on their behalf so i want to understand that whilst as a lawyer where i meet the most vulnerable people in society then become a politician and act on their behalf so do you think we'll ever see prime minister theo sergio and if we do can i crash into your cabinet absolutely <laughs> no um i don't like Polit uh, Prime Minister, oh my God, I'm going to sound like a politician. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, um, there, no, there is a possibility, 100%. Because if I, if I genuinely feel like that's the most effective way to help people, and at the moment I see a lot of flexibility. Boris has shown us that uh, Prime Ministers can actually have a lot of power if they wanted to. Um, so if I can see that I can cause the most change there, then definitely I'll take that role. Especially if other people I don't think are up to the job. So in a way, you're a young opportunist not for my own good though I, I absolutely and I think I've made this decision with my partner um if I stay with her or if I leave her whatever I'm I would always say that I will live in a one-bedroom small house I'm not really up for having children anytime soon um or ever really and I just want to live myself on a minimal budget so I've always want to make sure that not just everyone else knows it's not about me but that I know I truly know that I'm not doing my life for me if you know what I mean I've, I've become like a you agent I've sacrificed my life uh, because I really want to help and so, you know, doing all these things, being active, is that what makes you happy? Yeah, absolutely. Other things make me happy, of course. I like listening to like, like listening to music like Hamilton. I like doing stuff like um, watching videos uh, and sometimes movies. But most of all, I can't wake up in the morning for them things. I have to wake up in the morning to be excited to make another change. So you're still in that stage, are you, when you jump out of bed in the morning with new ideas and enthusiasm? Mum says it will wear off. I'm sounding like an absolute kid calling her that. But like, mum says you come to an age where you look at life, not that you think it's futile to help, but you just think that things will change, but not to an extent that you ever be satisfied. Um, I'm yet to see that because I'm always getting satisfied <laughs> and at the same time satisfied and wanting more. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think it'll wear off. It, it hasn't worn off with me yet. The only thing is I can't jump out of bed is in the same <laughs> way as, as I could when I was 19. And I try and I fall over, but I still have the ideas. Um, okay, so, you know, if anybody wanted to find out more about you and, and get advice from you, how would they do that? My email address is always open to everybody. I'm not sure if you could put it like underneath this or in the video or whatever. Um, but please do get in contact. I also run uh, the London Youth Parliament's kind of Instagram, which you can also link there. Um, and that's more if you want to run a campaign. But if you want sort of more life advice, I don't think <laughs> I'm more than happy to sit and chat with you and explore it. But I'm not I'm not the most supportive. Uh, I might be like, oh, this would be a great strategy to try and overcome this dilemma in your life. You might be wanting emotional support. So don't I can't really give that. Uh, but yeah, feel free to use my email or the Instagram.
Anyhow, we've come to the end of our 30 minutes and we could have gone on, I'm sure, for another 30 at least because you're really, really interesting and you have all that enthusiasm which makes politics worthwhile and makes people realise that they can make a difference with enthusiasm and they don't have to be moody and negative all the time. And I think you've shown that and that is incredibly valued. So I'm going to just thank you for, you know, taking part in this interview and I'm sure we'll do another one sometime in the future so you know thanks Theo it's been great you know having you here so uh, we'll end this interview now